the Gospel of John, where we've been uh, really for the last year or so, and hopefully we'll finish it up by the end of this year. Uh, we're really in the Gospel of John at a kind of a transition point. Um, the first 11 chapters are kind of like the first um, three years or so of Jesus' life. And as we transition to chapter 12 uh, and following, we're really going to be in the last week um, and all of the details leading up and including his crucifixion and his resurrection. And we'll be seeing those in the coming weeks and months together. But I want to remind you in John chapter 20 in verse 30 and 31, the Bible says, and many other signs truly did Jesus in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. But John gives us seven main uh, signs or miracles. But he says, these are written that ye might believe that Jesus is the Christ, that Jesus is the Son of God, and that believing ye might have life through his name. And John tells us he's given us these miracles, and we've looked at all of uh, the six previous, and now we're here in the seventh one. If there was ever a miracle that showed the deity of Jesus Christ, it's raising Lazarus uh, from the grave. And so in here in John chapter 11, we see the seventh sign proving that Jesus is who he says he is and that who God claims him to be. Now, throughout the Gospel of John, we also have seven I am statements. That statement, I am, is an important statement in Scripture. Going back to the Old Testament, God sent Moses to, um, to the Israelites there in Egypt, and Moses said, well, who should I say that sent me? And God said, I am. That's all you have to say. I am. That statement meant something to the nation of Israel and to the Hebrew people. So when Jesus comes on the scene and he makes that same statement about himself, he says, I am. He himself not only proved his deity by his works, but he claimed to be God in the flesh when he said, I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. I am the door. I am the good shepherd. And here in this passage, he says, I am the resurrection and the life. John chapter 14, he'll say, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And then in John chapter 15, he'll say, I am the true vine. All of these statements point to the deity of Christ, but they also point to a truth about him that can only be true of God. Now, as we come to John chapter 11 here, and Jesus is in a, a place called Perea. It's east of the Jordan River. Uh, he gets this message uh, that Lazarus is sick unto death. And we learned a couple weeks ago of Jesus' personal relationship with his family and how much he loved Mary and Martha and Lazarus and how important they were to him. But last week, we saw that Jesus said that uh, this sickness, this death, had a purpose and that he was going to follow the Father's will and that ultimately through this sickness, God would be glorified and that people would believe. And so Thomas then says to Jesus in verse 16, or says to the disciples in verse 16, if he's going to go, let us go with him and die with him. At this point, Jesus had upset the religious leaders of that day, and uh, many of these, what we call Pharisees, wanted to kill Jesus. They tried to multiple times. And so all of the disciples expected, if you go, they're going to seek you out, they're going to try to kill you. But Jesus reminds them that, listen, I am in my Father's will and I'm always safe in my Father's will. So that brings us now to verse number 17 here in John chapter 11, where Jesus is going to come to Bethany 
He's going to raise Lazarus from the grave. But most importantly, we see that statement, which is the title of our sermon this morning. I am the resurrection and the life. Father, we thank you for the life that is found only in Jesus Christ. Thank you that he willingly came and went to the cross and obedient to the Father's will and died for my sins and the sins of the whole world. And I pray here that each person would come to understand that reality, that truth today. And if they've never accepted by faith the free gift of salvation, may today be that day in their life. But for those of us that are Christians, Lord, may we be reminded, encouraged, and also challenged in our walk with you and in our life. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. John chapter 11, verse 17, the Bible says, when Jesus came, he found that he had lain in the grave four days already. There's four things I want you to see from verses uh, 17 down to verse uh, number 46 here in our passage uh, this morning. The first thing that we see is the promise of the Savior, or Jesus's promise. Jesus comes to uh, this, this funeral there in Bethany where Lazarus uh, had died, and, and that day, and their custom would be that they would have a mourning for seven days when somebody passed away. Uh, they believed uh, wrongfully uh, that the, at times the, the spirit of a person, when they died, would stay with their body for seven days, and so they would basically weep and wail for seven days. And it's interesting in those days that the, the more people you have at your funeral, the more prestigious it would be, and so they would actually pay people, professional wailers, professional criers, to come and, and wail and cry and mourn. So people would say, wow, look at all the friends that they had. It's kind of like our Facebook today. How many friends do you have or likes do you get? That's kind of how you do determine how popular you are in our world today. None of those people like you, just like none of them like them, but they're your friends on Facebook, and so we feel good about ourselves there. And, uh, but they would come, and they would wail. And it's interesting, in those days, they would not only come, but they would stay at your house for seven days. And you then were responsible to feed them and take care of them while they were in your home. I think we have that switch today. When somebody dies, we take them casseroles and fill up their freezers with food and those type of things. Um, but uh, the next time somebody in your family passed away, I'm going to show up. Seven days, I'm going to be there. So you be prepared and uh, you make sure you have enough banana pudding and uh, we'll be good to go uh, for that week. But it's interesting. So these people come here to Bethany to Mary and Martha's home. And I want you to look with me now, verse 18. Now, Bethany was nigh unto Jerusalem about 15 furlongs off, and many of the Jews came to Martha and Mary to comfort them concerning their brother. Then Martha, as soon as she heard that Jesus was coming, went and met him, but Mary was still in the house. Then said Martha unto Jesus, Lord, if thou hadst been here, my brother had not died. But I know that even now, whatsoever thou wilt ask of God, God will give it thee. And Jesus saith unto her, thy brother shall rise again. Martha saith unto him, I know that he shall rise again in the resurrection at the last day. And Jesus said unto her, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believeth in me, though he were dead, shall yet live. And whosoever believeth, liveth and believeth in me shall never die. Believest thou this? And she saith unto him, Yea, Lord, I believe that thou art the Christ, the Son of God, which should come into the world. So as Jesus makes his way to this 
at this funeral, Martha finds out he's on his way and she goes and meets him outside of the city and she begins to have a conversation and almost immediately you see Martha's theology, Martha's understanding of, of the scriptures. Now we live in a world today where people know just enough Bible to be dangerous and to take it out of context and really not know uh, what the Bible is teaching and what it means. But Martha comes to, to Jesus and says, if you were here, uh, he would not die, but I know that if you ask God, then God's going to give it to you. You know, Martha understood that God answers prayer. Martha understood that God cared about them and the circumstances that they're in and that, that he would answer the prayers, particularly the prayers of Jesus. But, but even more than that, you see that Martha understood eschatology. Eschatology is the study of, of last things, the things that are to come that are still future in, in Bible terms. Martha understood what was going to happen in the future. She said, when Jesus said he will rise again, she says, I know, I know that there's coming a resurrection. And, and, and we all need to understand this truth. Every person that's ever been born in this world will, be, will have a resurrection, will rise from the grave. For those that are in Jesus Christ, we will, be, we will rise to new life with him, and we will spend eternity with God. But for those that die in this world and never accept Jesus Christ as their Savior, they'll rise again and be cast into the lake of fire, into damnation, and they'll spend eternity separated from God in a real place called hell. And you know, Martha understood that reality. Now, we have a lot of people, a lot of so-called theologians and so-called Bible scholars that want to deny that truth. But as you read through scripture, it is very clear. Heaven is a real place. Hell is a real place. And listen, if you don't accept Jesus Christ as your savior, your eternal place will be in hell, separated from God. But God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. That's why Jesus came. Because you and I are sinners, and God sent Christ to die for our sin. And if we'll receive his free gift of salvation, we will then have eternal life. And Jesus reminds her that he will be, rise again there in this passage, and we see the promise then of life. He promises her this resurrection, and he tells her uh, that, that now, I'm not talking about the future, but I'm talking right now. And Jesus says, basically, I'm going to bring him back. And he asked Martha a question. Really, this is a question that we all should ask ourselves. He says, Martha, do you believe? Do you believe this? And I don't want you to miss Martha's reaction or her answer to this passage. In verse number 27, she says, yea, Lord, I believe. She doesn't say, I believe that you're going to rise him again. I, she doesn't say, I believe that you have the power and the ability to rise him, raise him again. She says, yea, Lord, I believe that thou art the Christ, the Son of God, which should come into the world. Hey, listen, we're not here to ask you, do you believe in miracles? And we're not here to ask you, do you believe in the church? We're not here to ask you, you know, do you believe in, in good works and being a good person? We're, we're, we're here to tell you that the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ, that he is the only way of salvation. And really the question is, do you believe that? You see, unfortunately, many people, I, I believe in Jesus but, you know, I go to church, and I give in the offerings, and I try to be a good person, and, and I'm hoping that my good works will out, outweigh my bad works. And, you know, I, I try to do so many good things in my life because I know I, I do bad things, and hopefully when I stand before God, it's just good enough. You know, one of the great blessings of my life as I stand here today is I don't say, I, hopefully it's enough. 
I stand here and know that Jesus is enough. And because I've accepted Jesus Christ as my Savior, you see, my righteousness is as filthy rags in the sight of God. There's nothing that I can do to earn favor with God. And, and let's be honest, and we're not going to ask my wife, but the truth is if you compared my good works to my bad works, the bad work scale is going to be a lot more full than the good work scale, all right? That's just the reality of, of our flawed, sinful self. And yet, somehow we get this picture of ourselves that we're good enough. And the Bible says, you're not good enough. You'll never be good enough to earn your way to heaven or to earn your salvation. And that's why God sent Jesus Christ. It makes no sense for Jesus to come and die on the cross and shed his blood and give his life for our sins if we can do it in our own power and our own strength. But God sent Christ to die for our sin. God sent Jesus Christ to be the payment so that we could have eternal life. And the question is, do you believe that? And what did Martha say to him? She didn't say, I believe that you'll raise them again. She said, I believe that you are the Christ. You're the Messiah that, you're, that we're looking for. You're the one that can bring life. And Jesus makes that promise to her. Number two, then we see the compassion of Jesus. The compassion of Jesus. Verse 18 and when she had so said, she went her way and called Mary, her sister, secretly, saying, The master has come and calleth for thee. As soon as she heard that, she arose quickly and came unto him. Now Jesus was not yet come into the town, but was in a place where Martha met him. The Jews which were with her in the house and comforted her when they saw Mary, that she rose up hastily, went out and followed her, saying, She goeth unto the grave to weep there. Then when Mary was come where Jesus was uh, and saw him, she fell down at his feet, saying unto him, Lord, if thou hadst been here, my brother had not died. When Jesus therefore saw her weeping, and the Jews also weeping, which came with her, he groaned in the spirit and was troubled, and said, Where have ye laid him? And they said unto him, Lord, come and see. And verse 35 tells us, Jesus wept. Then said the Jews, Behold how he loved him. And some of them said, could not this man, which opened the eyes of the blind, have caused that even this man should not have died? As you read that passage, you see the compassion that Jesus had. Mary comes to Jesus, and you know, almost every time you see Mary in the scriptures, you find her at the feet of Jesus worshiping. And I love her response when she comes to him. She falls at her feet, and she calls him Lord. You see, these ladies understood who Jesus was but the Bible tells us that Jesus there groans and is, is troubled. And you know, as he's looking at these ladies, he understands what's about to happen. He understands what, what he's about to do. But I believe that Jesus groaned and was troubled over the impact of sin on the lives of, of these people that he loved. He understood the heartache and the trial that they were going through because he cared about them. And you know, the same thing is true about you and me. God cares about us. He, he knows what you're going through and he cares about it. And as he looked at these women and he, that he loved and he cared about, he just saw the pain. And you know, sin brings pain. Sin brings heartache and trials and difficulties uh, in our life. But we see here Jesus, as he looks at their problem, their trial, the Bible tells us that Jesus wept. Now, all throughout this passage, there's, there's this picture of weeping and wailing and sobbing. Um, and and when it, the, the picture there is these people just broken. 
and just screaming out in, in anguish. But when the Bible tells us Jesus wept, there's a different picture here. And really the idea here is that, that Jesus' eyes welled up with tears. And there was just tears trickling down his face for the grief of these, these people. We also see that Mary and Martha believed in, in Jesus um, despite the resurrection of their, of their brother. You know, they, they believed Jesus loved them. They believed Jesus cared about them. They believed that he was the son of God. You know, neither of them expected Jesus to raise him, if you see that. But yet they still believed, they still loved him. So many people in our world today, they, they, we, we want to see miracles. We want to see big things. And, and we want God to prove himself. And so many times we'll be in a situation and we say, God, if you make this outcome, then I'll believe in you. If you allow, allow this to happen in my life, then I'll go to church. And, and then I'll serve you if you do these big things and show me what you can do. But you notice Mary and Martha, they don't, neither of them do that. They said, now listen, if you were here, we know, we, we know that Lazarus would not, would not have died. But we still believe you're the Lord. We still believe you're the Savior. We still believe everything that you have said. They simply believe the promise of God. And this is a struggle in our society today. And we have to be very careful because we, we like experience. And we, we like the, the feeling uh, of things. And sometimes... We don't get the experience we want, and we don't get the outcome of life that we want. And sometimes we don't feel like going to church, and we don't feel like reading our Bible. And we don't feel like serving God when life is hard and, and we're having struggles in our life. But the truth is, we don't serve based on our feeling or our experience. We serve based on God and who he is and his promises. And that's where these ladies were in their life. They believed that Jesus was the Son of God. They believed that he was the Messiah and that he was bringing eternal life. In John chapter 20, I quoted the two verses in 30 and 31, but just before that, we have the, the famous story about Thomas. And Thomas um, said, we call him Doubting Thomas, because he said, I have to see. And so in verse 24, the Bible says, Thomas, one of the 12 called Didymus, was not with them when Jesus came. The other disciples therefore said unto him, we have seen the Lord. But he said unto them, except I shall see in his hands the print of the nails and put my fingers into the print of the nails and thrust my hand into his side, I will not believe. After eight days again, his disciples were with, within and Thomas with them. Then came Jesus, the doors being shut and stood in the midst and said, peace be unto you. Then saith he to Thomas, reach hither thy finger and behold my hands and reach hither thy hand and thrust it into my side and be not faithless, but believing. And Thomas answered and said unto him, My Lord, my God, after he was able to experience this. But listen to the words of Jesus. Jesus saith unto him, Thomas, because thou hast seen me, thou hast believed. Blessed are they that have not seen and yet have believed. You see, we're called today to believe God is who he says he is and believe his promises and to believe his words, because this world is not always going to give you the experience and the life and that you want, but God is still faithful, and God still cares. And so we see here Jesus' compassion on these ladies, and we see their response to Jesus, even in the midst of this heartache, even in the midst of this trial. And then number three, we see in verses 38 through 44, the power, the power. 
We see in verse 37 the people's perspective there. If he did all these other miracles, if he did all these things, why could he not heal this man? And the truth is, they didn't understand what God was doing. They didn't understand that what Jesus had told his disciples, that, that God was going to receive glory and that people were going to believe. There's a reason behind what is about to happen here in this situation and what was, going to, what was happening in the lives of these people. In verse 38 here in John chapter 11, Jesus therefore again groaning in himself cometh to the grave. It was a cave and a stone lay upon it. And Jesus said, Take ye away the stone. Martha, the sister of him that was dead, saith unto him, Lord, by this time he stinketh, for he hath been dead four days. And Jesus saith unto her, Said I not unto thee that if thou wouldest believe, thou shouldest see the glory of God? Pointing out the purpose. Then they took away the stone from the place where the dead was laid. And Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank thee that thou hast heard me. And I knew that thou hearest me always. But because of the people which stand by, I said it, that they may believe that thou hast sent me. And when he thus had spoken, he cried with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. And he that was dead came forth, bound hand and foot with grave clothes. And his face was bound about with a napkin. And Jesus saith unto them, Loose him and let him go. You know, the people question whether or not Jesus could do this. Martha says it's too late. And you know, we often think about that in, in the, the lives of people. We look at people and where they are in their life and, and maybe the sinfulness of their lifestyle and the struggles that they're going through. And we look at them and say, Well, you know, God's done with them. It's too late. I love Paul's words when he says, You know, I'm the chiefest of sinners. Many of us would look at Paul's life who persecuted the church and killed Christians and we'd say, you know what, it's too late for him. There's no way God could save him. There's no way God can use him. And on that Damascus road, God gloriously saved him when he met Jesus Christ. It's never too late when God's involved. It might not be the way that we want it to be and that might be happening the way that we planned it, but it will happen based on God's plan and God's purpose. And what was the purpose in this situation? Twofold. Number one, that God would receive glory. God would receive glory. And number two, that people would believe. That was the reason that God allowed this to happen and that we have this wonderful story, the events of this story that, that we get to read about today so that we can glorify God and so that people would know that Jesus is who he says he is and believes. And so we see the power of Christ to raise to newness of life, and he still does that spiritually. But number four, as we finish up here, I want you to notice the response then of the people, the response of the people. And really, you're going to have one of these responses here this morning. In verse 45, the Bible says, Then many of the Jews which came to Mary and had seen the things which Jesus did, first response, believed on him. You know, all throughout the Gospel of John, we see big things like this happen, and the Bible tells us that many of the people believed. You know, it, it, that's just amazing to see God working in these situations and then see people come to understand who Jesus is and, and believe. You know, that's why we do what we do. We talked about First Choice for Women and the different ministries. We have the Fire Rescue House in our community. And, you know, I remind people all the time, we do these things not to, to give uh, bottles or diapers, not to necessarily give food or give housing and those type of things, but we do all those things so that people can hear who Jesus is and they can receive the gospel 
and hopefully believe on him. That's why we do. But the sad truth is verse 46 tells us some of these same people that were there that see this, some of them went their ways to the Pharisees and told them what things Jesus had done. Some of them, instead of believing on Jesus and receiving him as their savior, they went to the Pharisees and tried to, to persecute him and, and tried to get him killed and attacked by the Pharisees. And we'll see that come to fruition uh, in the coming chapters of this, of this book. And so we see throughout this passage, we see the promise of God for life. We see he makes that promise because he cares about us. We see his compassion for these people and he cares about you and me. The same thing is true today. And we see his power. Only Jesus could raise Lazarus from the grave. Only Jesus can give new life today, give eternal life here this morning. And I, I want to encourage you again, trust him if you never have. Put your faith in Christ and receive the gift of salvation. And so then the question is, as he asked Mary, do you believe? Do you believe me? And that's the question today. Do you believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, that offers eternal life.